0: Welcome back to the Developer Tribe for Episode 3 of Season 2. The weeks are zipping by, but each of them gives me a chance to revisit these conversations and take in again the wisdom of the guests and getting them out to you. All of the guests offer so much of their process and practice, and this one is no different, with loads to take with us. So, as ever, thank you for being here, however you got here. And with that, let's jump in. My guest today is a consultant with Four Growth and psychological and social lead with Sheffield United FC Academy. She has previous experience with the English FA as an affiliate tutor, county coach developer, and skills program team leader. Even further back, she has experience as a coach at the David Beckham Academy. It's a pleasure to welcome Sally Needham to the pod. What's going on for you today?
1: Uh, snowier today, Tim. Yes. Yeah, we are snowed in, but I've managed to get out. I listened to a little bit of a, a podcast on my way out today and had a little 20 minutes out because yesterday I sat on the laptop all day and I went to bed with a headache. So, like, today I've got to get out. So, just on a little walk, little podcast. That's it
0: so important isn't it whilst we're we, we are in, in a lockdown at the moment i don't know exactly when this is going to go out so hopefully we might be out of lockdown by then but uh, certainly that's the experience at the moment what what was it you were listening to i got no problem with recommending another podcast
1: um i was listening actually to uh dan abraham's as one well with lisa friedman on the seven and a half i think it's seven and a half lessons of the brain okay so yeah so I just started that little podcast so yeah.
0: Yes it's one that I would like to get into a bit more. I've read uh, both um, Dan Abraham's books, uh, the Soccer Tough ones. All right. And they're, yeah. they're, they are fantastic. They're really well written so yeah I'm, I've no doubt the podcast will be the same.
1: Yeah Lisa's Lisa Freeman I think can hear me. She's got quite a she's got two little books out of them in it and uh, some people keep mentioning it to me, so I thought, right, and it's easier than because oh, I've got that many endless books I need to read. I thought I will just put it on and see, uh, and see what she's got to say. So yeah,
0: no, I've been circling you for a while. Then obviously, um, look, no <laughs> doubt we'll get into the you know the psychological and social realms of you football uh, today, as that is what you are undoubtedly expert in. Um, but take us through how you find yourself currently heavily involved in the practice and theory of that part of youth football.
1: yeah, so I was as you mentioned, I was um part of the skills program that that basically Trevor brooking introduced at the f a and it was a five to eleven program um and all the training we got and we went through the youth awards um really did change how I coached the children and thought about the children and I was very fortunate enough that um I was one of five I think from the program to get picked to go on the pilot of the advanced youth award so that was 2012 and so I was on the 5 to 11s because they get put in ages so 5 to 11s and I went and did the course and that was really the first exposure to the psych and social um so went back and delivering week in, week out with the five to 11s in schools, in um, holiday camps, in like um, after school clubs and skill centers that where the kids come and they did the football more. Um, and the practices and things that we, well, I took on board on the Advanced Youth Award, we had to make a portfolio and a, a, um, like four case studies, just seemed to be working. And it seems the kids were flourishing in front of our eyes as children. They were excelling in their football. And I was also working at a boys um, under 14s team at the time, grassroots. And the same was applying there, and the same were happening. They would just seem to just be flourishing. So I kind of wanted to know the how and the why to why we do certain things, to then what's the impact of that. And I'd sit in some things and we'd talk around. Um, in work or we'd talk around like mood lifters or or we'd talk around, we had guest speakers in quite a bit or I'd listen to things and I'd go, well, I know that, like you do that, you get X, but why and how is that? So I wanted to really delve down into it. And at the time I was um, working at Sheffield Night with the girls RTC and we had a player there that, and I took him at under 16. So I'd had a coach from being, Twelve to fifteen to sixteen, and I got in the last year. Um, with actually Gary, who worked with me at the skills programs. So we were both on the side and social. That were kind of where we we put our coaching hats on. And we got the girls, and this one particular girl, I used to come almost think I'm gonna kill her. Could not get in contact with her. She was, she didn't. You could tell she didn't like me. I'd come home some weeks and I'd be crying, and I thought I'm, I'm lucky if I keep going at this with her. And we did and, and we implemented some of the stuff and, and that's how it was. But I came back home and one of my best friends were living with me at the time and she said to me, Sally, you're looking at things the wrong way. And she'd just gone through a programme of study and we're working in a school, in an underdeprived school, um, helping the most vulnerable children with their emotional social development. And she went on to work for that company. And so she said to me, you should really look at, Thrive approach which is the course that then I went and did and that was very much around looking at children's emotional social development where their brain interruptions are what's the behaviours telling you how you work with them to build that psychosocial social really so I've got talk around it the fact that the application was our, our grass, but I wanted to know the soil and the Thrive approach looked at the latest in neuroscience, child, child development and attachment and that gave me the understanding and the pin, the underpinning knowledge of understanding the soil bit below the surface. So then it kind of explained the how and the why we were seeing the kids flourish above the surface and on the grass. So that's kind of where I've, I've got to. And then I've just, I was fascinated by it. And then just carried on and gone and did a, a master's in play and then went and did it one in sports coaching, but did basically the application of, all that stuff that The Thrive Approach did and applied it into football. It took me about two and a half, three years to really apply it into application to a a sense that where I could explain it and not be, it's not simple because it's a very complex subject, but in a simplistic way that we can then apply it into how we do it in football. And I think that's took me now for the last, last couple of years to where last January, yeah, last January, I'm thinking about me years now. Last January, I delivered it on the Advanced Youth Award. So the content got put on the Advanced Youth Award last January. And then as you said, I've left the FA um, just in September and gave me the chance to literally go into Chef United and apply it through all the phases. So beforehand it was very prominent in the foundation phase, but kind of my gut feeling was it would be it would be fit, fit and fit across all phases. Um so I took my chance to go and do some consultancy work other places and then do two, sometimes three days a week at Sheffield United and put in all the application into all the, all the phases with the players and the coaches, really. So that's where I am.
0: Yeah, awesome journey. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, you and I have had a chance to speak about uh, the Thrive programme before and i was very grateful for the time you offered me. My understanding of of that thrive program was that that was put together for education and for a more formal classroom space. Yes, is that fair to say?
1: Yes, it is. it's it's they do some great um awareness sessions, some great CPDs. The courses are programmed really for, and they've they've put a model together, so it helps teachers to understand the behaviors and how then they work with them through music, arts, and crafts to then put the things back in that's below the surface so it's very much for a practitioner working in a primary school or senior school um rather than a sports setting and um, but that's why it took me quite a little a bit to utilize that work and put it in a sports setting um, and that's why it get it was brilliant for my journey through my master's to be able to that's basically what I looked at so just trying to put all that into a master's research project or little Projects to check and challenge that work, and to also see where it sits and fits. So to get to a place where, like we said, I delivered it on the shoes Award last year.
0: So, so what what were the complications in taking it from uh, quite a quite a formal space, obviously not designed specifically for sports coaching? I presume that that some of the complications might have been that it's a more complex environment; it's more dynamic um maybe we have the the children for a, a shorter amount of time rather than across a full day Yeah. what were the complications
1: um they're they what they give you is a model to enable you then to do an online assessment and they then give you strategies that then you can do in the classroom setting or when you take them out to do say timetable so half timetable or um, and because they have them every week every day, they could put some structure in place or they have a specific person that dealt with them individual children they had a specific space that dealt with them that could um enable that child to go there for a safe space so the the research and the knowledge and the content was very applicable, but I just needed to actually work it in how that then transfers into how we do it in the football element rather than the school setting by like I say taking them off classroom timetable and doing some arts and crafts with them or doing um you know in a in a in a thrive room where they come into that for sensory. We've not got as much of that luxury in a football academy. So what are grassroots so what would what would how would we get some of that that soil work into the football and how then I would be able to explain it to coaches that this is what's happening below the surface when we're doing this above the surface in a more simplistic model that enabled them because they've got, they've got their model, same as everybody's got a model. You know, Merit Centre in Canada's got red and the blue model. Chimp Paradox has got their model. It's basically an understanding, and we know that the brain doesn't work like that, but it's basically an understanding of being able to get them back um curiosity and some knowledge into coaches to actually go all right then let me reframe a little bit on this and see what's actually happening under the surface and that's why we do that so yeah there was some great I love doing it there were some great examples it were a and I'm I'm not I'm not kidding when I say this it was the biggest self-awareness journey I've ever had um for me personally going through it because you have to go through the stages and all the 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 feeling of sensing in to all the activities you have to do them all yourself um so yeah it were a, a really a really monumental learning point um in taking it then into the football which which yeah it started seeming to um gather a bit of momentum in the football side now so yeah
0: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, (laughs) And obviously, very glad to have you speak about it here. And you you touched on um, the the, the chimp paradox um, analogy there. And that's really my only knowledge at all of neuroscience. And even even then, I wouldn't necessarily say I can recite what that book says. So talk to us a little bit about I believe it's the polyvagal theory that's one of the underpinnings of of what you do. Uh, talk to us a bit about that, and uh, we, you know things that we could take away as coaches.
1: Yeah, so the polyvagal theory is 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 used in trauma and in probably um, services with mental health and health and well being, and it's. It's a theory that got proposed in 1994. It only really come into fruition in 2009, 2011. And it fascinated me because it talks around the body and the brain, and especially a nerve called the vagus nerve that connects our brain to our body. And it enables us to understand around when we are feeling safe and regulated, we are using a certain system that links our body and our brain which then enables us to be up for relationships, pro-social behaviours, giving really good eye contact, communication, up for learning. In this state of being our optimal state of being present in the world and up for human relationships. When we're not in that state because of certain reasons and what it's saying is a polyvagal theory and it's Stephen Porges work uses a term called um, neuroception which basically is something that we are unconsciously aware of, but will work and will tech threat up all the time. So it's picking up on cues and triggers from outside the world and inside us in our nervous system. So what's stored in our body and our brain, how we we interpret the world, how we feel about things, how we sense in. And when we feel like we're not in that, that really good zone or green zone, I call it, we're going some different zones where we have fight, flight or freeze. And that's then shifts into a different nervous system um, or part of our nervous system. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's very used in, like I say, in, in medicine and in trauma and in child health and well-being. And a lot of people use this theory. Um, the Thrive Approach use the theory. Um, it's not really been transferred into sport. The correspondence I have had with with Stephen Porges is that my intuitions are right, that it could be looked at in sport. Um, so that was part of my re- master's research project where I'm looking, does neuroscience have a place in the foundation phase? But majority of the polyvagal theory. So, yeah, so it's it's a a, a new theory, like we are finding out so much all the time that we probably only know a slight amount of what's going on in our body and our brains especially our brains and like I said this theory only came to fruition really 1994 it was proposed but really into the limelight in 2009 so a really early theory and that's that's the thing I think with this with the science and then brain and the body um there's always things evolving with it and we're getting new research come out and it's then changing what we see about things. And I think that's what a big thing for me from going from coaching to now academia a little bit, but sitting in the middle with practitioners, there's always bits of research that goes against everything. And I think you've got to come up with something that is applicable and sits and fits that is able for you to understand, but able for you to, to be able to have that conversation with somebody that maybe change their thought process or look at things slightly differently to then add to that bit for the children, so I think yeah, it's a fascinating world all the brain and the body. But yeah, it's it's basically it's. I feel like the polyvagal theory is a preamble for everything else that comes. It so it's a preamble for social connection. It's a preamble for the psych and social corner. It's a preamble for learning. It's a preamble for psychological safety. It's a preamble for connection. It's. Yeah, so it's very much the preamble for everything else that comes in after it, for me.
0: Yeah, and 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 when we spoke, <laughs> that was the sense I got too. You know that that um, obviously we in 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 academic literature, in in books around coaching, there's plenty of uh, talking about and writing about connection with players coach athlete relationships and everything else that you've spoken about and, and and what they need to look like and some suggestions of what practice might look like without usually without some underpinning that says well this is how that actually works or why those practices actually work so a lot of it appears to be well they, these are effective coaches um by by self-report or by by player report, by other coach report, yeah. Let's let's emulate what they're doing. So this this really is quite exciting. It's it's a way of explaining well, what's actually going on in that space. There um, there are there typical ways in which uh, football coaches or the football coaching experience tends to shift players out of their social engagement system and and therefore not be able to connect with it and attend to it in a, in a learning way?
1: Um, I think I think it's really hard to stay in their social engagement system um, all the time. So there's going to be some dips in and out. And I think that's where we are building that resilience a little bit with them and putting them into areas that they're not as comfortable. Um, the thing for me would be around, for football, um, is what state they're coming to training all the games with. If we can have certain behaviours and put certain strategies in before they even start to then train or the game, it's enabling them to try to get into that social engagement system before they start the learning. And that's a major thing for me. So before they start the learning how they can get us or how we can help to support what things we put into practice that enables them to get into the social engagement system in that really optimal state. So then the learning's um, high and optimal. They're up for the relationships in the team. They're giving eye contact, so the coaches are recognising them cues and triggers. And then also, if then they have some dysregulation, the coach's role, if they are sensed in and they are regulated and they are then their social engagement system, can notice then to help give cues of safety then and bring the children back into their uh, social engagement system. But yeah, it's, it's, you're never going to get them in there full time because of what's in our kit and our body and our brain. I think it's understanding that we can put some things in to create or help them get into that state before the start. What do we do during it? So, we talk around it all the time in football, you know, before they get the ball, on the ball, and after the ball in coaching. So, what do we do in their psych, safety, and their body and their brain to do before they get before they start training, while they're in training or in game, and then after? So, you're you looping it back into it's not just the football, it's this, it's not just the grass stuff, like I keep saying, it's the soil stuff. And if we're working together, you are building up the soil, which enables then... The grass to be even grow even better, and when bad times it, the grass will grow quicker, will regrow quicker because of what you've got below the soil. So yeah, so I think it's more of a practical sense.
0: That that makes sense, and there's a couple of things I I'd want to unpack there. So we'll we'll, we'll take them one at a time. The the, okay. the first was you know that that before practice, and for a long long time I've been doing arrival activities with with young players preaching that to other coaches when I've been in a a coach education position. Um, And and through some of my studies found connections with education through early settling tasks. Yeah. Um, But had never made that connection of well, why exactly am I doing this? I could have I had some reasons. Well, it's to capture kids as they come in rather than have them waiting around in case, you know, some turn up a little bit later, or some turn up a little bit earlier, that makes good sense. Uh, It's to make it uh, fun and enjoyable straight away for them, Um, maybe start to get them from the space that they've just left to now transitioning to where they are as a training space. But this theory, what you're working with, gives us more of an understanding of well, why we're we actually doing that. Yeah. <laughs> could, could you could you unpack a little bit about what, what is the neuroscience of what's actually going on when we as coaches put arrival activities in place?
1: Yeah. So, a couple of things. Um, when you're putting a arrival activity on, or the children winter will play state, it has some impact on. Um, their nervous system, so it settles the nervous system in their brain, so it's getting you ready for pro-social behaviors. So it's getting you ready for the learning. So there's a bit about play in our. Don't want to use the big words, but play in our nervous system that helps us then get into this state. Other couple of things is the fact that we have an innate need to play in our brain. So the more that we and we all have it. It's just adult form is a different style of play now. We'll probably go out for a bike ride or go um, socialise at the pub when we can or, you know, go play tennis, whereas the kids' have different play states or play activities when they're younger. So we've still got an innate need to play. Research shows us that 10 to 15 minutes of play enables the children to um, get into this state, which then lowers behaviour because their nervous system's gets relaxed and in the green state and not prone for conflict and learning goes up so when we have 10 to 15 minutes baby goes down learning goes up so it's getting us into this vital state the biggest thing for me as well is, is 10 to 15 minutes gives the coach the time to get set up but also to sense in So if they've gone from work or they've had an admin in the car or they're busy doing loads of different stuff when they get to training and one team's coming off and one team's going on. For a child, especially a younger child, if they are not, um, if they become dysregulated in your session, you need an adult that is regulated to then regulate them. So a dysregulated adult cannot regulate a dysregulated child. So the sensing in allows us to just take a little bit of a deep breath. So breathing helps to, uh, to soothe our vagus nerve to get us back into our normal state so that we can then be present with the children. Because if we're not present and in our social engagement system, we're not giving cues of safety off. We're not giving the connection off. We're not, and kids will pick up of it subconsciously. Um, we are not uh, being um reciprocal to what they're saying or we're listening to what they're saying so we miss a to them when we miss a tune to anybody and we'll have had it if we've sent a text to someone that we've got a, a good connection with and the text come back and you know that they've not read it properly or they miss a tune to us it evokes an emotional feeling in you so the kids will go through the same which then just escalates and escalates and escalates so arrivals for me has got numerous ones one for the children possibly they need to play learning goes down behavior goes up and it helps to regulate the nervous system to get them into that pro social behavior state and then the other ones for the coach to sense in to be present in the moment with the kids and to be regulated
0: a brilliant example of where this underpinning can really start to give us a, a, an awesome sense of these practices that we do and what what they're for how they work so if I could unpack that a little bit further, I was thinking about well, you said, play there a number of times as something that helps then the, the children get into their yeah. own regulated space. What, what level of, ch- and I appreciate this will be different by age. So I'm perhaps <laughs> not asking a fair question, but what, what level of challenge should coaches be looking to uh, apply in arrival activities? You know, i I've seen the full gambit of it where it's you know it's it's pretty much free play just go go and enjoy your own game uh, go and set up your own game even and i've seen the complete opposite where it's a drill that perhaps uh might be written on a whiteboard go and have a look set it up have a go at it yeah. and clearly there'll be differences between age and ability as to yeah. where you're setting this but i guess why i'm asking Long question this. I guess what I'm asking is, does the level of challenge of the arrival activity have a positive or negative effect on what we're trying to achieve here?
1: Um, I would say this comes back to the old thing of the youth awards about you need to know your children. So and um, there's also the element of, you know what you wanna get out of the session. So I'm the same. I will say either you can have a standalone arrival activity or, and then do your session or your, your arrival activity can go into your into your session so it can be a follow-on. The thing for me is to know is to think around why we get it, why we're we doing what we're doing in the arrival, what does it get out of? So if you think around at the minute with COVID, so it might be the fact that you all have some free play. Look, this is your this is your equipment, you've got 10 minutes, pick a mate, go set up your own game. So you're allowing them that social interaction because they might not have seen their friends for a while. It might be the fact that it's absolutely banging it down in the middle of winter. So you're not going to then go, right, we'll just have a little bit of soccer tennis. It might be, right, this is what we're going to do in rival activities. The thing for me is this, is the difference in in ages, um, kids still want to do the same stuff. So sometimes our under the sevens, want to do the same as our under the 14s. The slight difference I would say is with the adolescent brain, or uh, when they're coming into them that like 12s, 13s, 14s, 15s, I would sometimes give them a choice because they need a lot of choice and a lot of ownership at that stage, because they don't have as much in their social setting, in their school setting as choice and ownership. So sometimes on the on the on with the little ones, we'll do like two choices, and sometimes the older ones we do five choices, or we'll say, look. Boys, it's raining tonight. Or girls, it's raining tonight. You can either do this or you do this. What's your choice? So, it's a really hard question because I think with all this stuff with about the brain and the body and application, if you know why and why you're doing what you're doing and how it works, I think then you can then see where they are in their development or what's going off through the week. Is it bonfire night? Is it last week? A half term, which is a nightmare. Is it a Friday? So Fridays, I want, add a very unstructured, um, arrival activity. So it's all dependent on where the kids are and what we feel that they need. And we've got to sometimes give the kids the chance to make some choices, set their own games up, work it together, especially in the climate we've had at the minute that they've not had that social interaction. Because the human connection with people that they feel safe with from their tone of their voice and from their facial by doing a bit of soccer tennis across a net or across a line or just making their own line up actually, again, helps to regulate the nervous system because we do a lot of threat off our voice and our facial cues and triggers.
0: That's a, it's a really good point. And there's going to be a lot of young people through these lockdown periods that have not had the chance to have social engagement with friends, wider range of people, and and, and will have lost some of those skills or certainly the refinement of some of those skills. Um, So it's a really good point. for the We do have a responsibility to provide them with some of that.
1: Yeah, and you just made a great point in the fact that they might have lost some skills. They will be thinking that. They'll be thinking, when I go back to football or when I go back to school, I wonder if they're still going to be my friends. I wonder if my coat peg is going to still be there. I wonder if they're going to be wondering all these different things. So even more so to give them the time to actually connect back in and actually go, oh, no, I'm all right, I'm fine. Like They're still my friends and I've still got my coat peg where it is and I'm still doing this at school and they're still my teacher. And I think that's a major thing that they'll be worrying about what's going to happen when they get back into it. So,
0: so, yeah. No, it's a, a good point. Thank you for, for picking up on it. And and so I said, there were two things I wanted to pick up on. Yeah. We've spoken a lot about players there, but you made the point a number of times and um, some of my other guests on, on this podcast have made similar points, but in different ways that the coach is obviously complicit in this process. Yeah. You use the term dysregulation and regulation I've heard it spoken about in similar similar ways of you know the self-awareness of the coach. Yeah. Clearly we have to be aware of ourselves and where we are in order to be able to operate in this way. You mentioned around breathing. Are there any other or in fact unpacking that one a little bit. Are there any other principles or practices that the coach can do in order to maintain a sense of regulation?
1: Um Breathing's a really good one. Um, I would say people need to find that out themselves. But the big thing for us is mindfulness and breathing. There's loads of research that backs that up and it links back into our vagus nerve. So I would just say my top tip would, would be when you're on the pitch and you're setting up, just take some deep breaths or count to 10. So the breathing element is massive. That's why probably Ronaldo does what he does before he has his free kick it's vagus nerve it's also your vagus nerve but yeah I think coaches need to think that out themselves um because we're all so different um but if you have got five ten minutes before you start coaching just walking away setting up taking some deep breaths talking to yourself getting yourself regulated is is basically what I would suggest
0: yeah. And, and brilliant suggestions. And and for, for most of us, you know, as coaches, the coaching experience is something that we look forward to most of during the yeah. day, during the week. Um, I can count hundreds of experiences I've had where I've been in a terrible mood going to coaching and then five, 10 minutes into a session, I'm bouncing around. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons I love doing it. Yeah. But in talking to a lot of coaches over a long period of time around social, emotional competency development of their players, the missing piece seems to be quite consistently their understanding of it themselves and understanding of those skills themselves. Um, And one of the things that seems to come up quite regularly is, yes, we might start to notice it. You know, we we may respond poorly to something in a session. We may... um, may notice that the what we bring to the session has an emotional contagion and has an issue and then we beat ourselves up about it and of course the session's still going on so yeah. like you say you know that that it's important to notice it but also important to have coping strategies ourselves in order to be able to regulate bring us back around to the session and make sure it's still still successful
1: yeah definitely and i think that's i think I've noticed it more um, when I've been doing in situ supports with coaches because they'll be stood there and you know that they're literally just surviving on the side because you can see from the eye contact, they're not giving much communication. They're literally, you can tell they're just in emotional hijack and they're not thinking, they're not seeing the pictures, they're not going what's going wrong. And then you ask them at the end and they just go, I, I don't know. And the, the, because your thinking is offline, so when we're just, you know, it's like when we have an argument and then an hour later, we think, why didn't I say that when they said when they said that? Because we're not thinking, we're just surviving. And I think I've noticed that more of the coach is really trying to, and the big thing is, is to sense in, you're right. So to sense in, to catch that emotion, to work with it, because it's going to come feelings and emotions and slight different in them, but they're going to come, so we need to kind of work with it. And I, and I think that's what comes back to that bit about my self-awareness journey on the Thrive approach definitely made me realise more about myself and my actions and my behaviours. and and But until somebody really shines a light on that, you don't really know. And unless you're in your social engagement system, there's no real chance of reflecting and changing your behaviours. Because we get programmed in and the more we have those negative experiences, the more our body gets us ready for that experience again. That our defensive behaviours are already up before we start. You know, and it's it's like this period of time now, a lot of people's defensive behaviours will be higher and ready to keep them safe in the in in that response than what they are normally because of what we're going through. So yeah, I think it's understanding where we are and your body and understanding all those and feelings. And like you said, sensing it and catching it, but the coach's role um, in helping, especially younger children with cues and safety and keeping them in that optimal state is really, is really pivotal. And like I said, uh, your face and your tone of voice is massive with that. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a journey, definitely a journey when you start coaching.
0: <laughs> no, of course. I, I, I think one of those barriers that can be put up by coaches when learning this type of thing is that experience of it as being theory dense whether that's actually true or not, but certainly by their perception, it's theory dense. And you've done a really good job already today of of not going into too much of the the scientific language that might make it inaccessible Mm -hmm. for us. How how do you navigate that when you're working with coaches? Are You conscious of the language that you're using in order to get an effective relationship with that coach?
1: Um. too far with that. One, if I'm talking around the science stuff, very conscious, and it's took me a long time to get to this stage um, because I was learning it. So you learn it as you get taught it, and then I have to apply it. So I'm now seeing it in, in action. So every day now I'm seeing it in action. Two thing about language, and it's probably going off what you've asked me, but language is pivotal is I'm very conscious about what language I use because of where it hits our nervous system. So the language that we use, even though we may perceive it to be what we think it to be, somebody else's perception of that language could be totally different. And when we are in a different state, some of the language doesn't help because it doesn't attune and validate to our nervous system and our brain. So we just keep in that defensive behaviours. Whereas language for me, and it's a big topic, it's massive, and one of my big things on language is when we talk around moving up and down. So, like, you went up to the 13s today and then down to the 12s, and we just naturally say it in football, and the, the impact of what up and down, in a word sense, we are stored in our body and our brain that we subconsciously and is all around us in our environment, in the world, and on the telly and everything we have a we have a um an association with that that up is good and down is bad and so it affects then what we then perceive that to be in our perception and so language for me um if it misattunes to what we perceive it to be in our brain and our body it really has sometimes a, a really big impact so the language that i use with coaches and with players um i'm conscious of because of where it hits in the body and the brain and the nervous system and i think sometimes if you get that wrong you have to admit you get that wrong so i got that wrong for you tonight and i can see that so yeah language is a really big area um so i think i've di- diversed a little bit but just it got, because you said mes- mes- you mentioned language which is a fascinating point for me at the minute
0: no, and thank you for exploring it. I, uh, the, what what came up for me when you said playing up and down is is some experiences I've had in in the US. I was out there twice, and playing up an age group, as anyone who's coached over there will know, is an absolute fascination for parents uh, and an, an obsession uh, for for quite a number of parents, yeah. and striking a balance between their perceptions of that being ostensibly good and implicitly good, always good. Uh, and the actual potential developmental benefits of it uh, is yeah. very, very difficult to do. Um, yeah. Sometimes, with you know, a whole team, sometimes with individual parents, you know, there's obviously a place for it. How, how do you feel about using the language of playing across? Does that yeah, mediate
1: it? I think we've done it. With, we've done it a while for playing across, and I get I get some comments. But the boys see that that you move across, so they see that you're going across. Um, if then we have it as a cross, we've not got a connotation like you said around. It's because of a developmental challenge or a developmental thing. It's how we package it and the wording and the re- and the frame think for me as well is if we move them up in a sense if you want to work it like that but if if we move them across or with the, the 13s then if they're not in their social engagement system then the challenge is not there anyway because they're just surviving that session so we have to be really careful of using that developmental challenge for the right reason but there's a starting point of they've got to be psychologically safe So some of the work we're doing at the minute is there's transition periods that now are going to come out in academies and there's some transition periods all the time if you don't move up with your, through the phases as such with your players. So it's that element again of feeling safe and secure and connected to the coach, because otherwise if they go, some children will be able to go to a different group and will be totally fine with it. Some children will be worried about what's coming next. And will just be surviving. So the the challenge that we perceive them to be getting for that night is non-existent. So yeah, so across with, I don't know what the word is, but what you see when you're moving them is across. So just the word across is on a level par. So on a level par, it just gives something in the brain, actually, I'm just moving across. And we've had loads, I've had quite a lot of conversations with players that have gone up and then back down from up to a first team down to development team, and because it wasn't explained to them why, and it might just be the fact that there's a lack of numbers, so they need to fill the numbers in. Then they perceive it that they would do really well, and they're they're going up. There were enough ability to get to the first team, and then now they're playing in the development team. And they're not starting, so it's that then mindset and thinking throughout that then the players get into that then has that negative impact on them so might some won't so I think it all comes back to being curious around what's the behavior is telling you reframing and the language that we use massive to how we put that challenge to them and then being in that psychological safety but yeah I'm 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 a big thing on I don't like the up and down and well, that's just me personally, but I would definitely, it, with a cross.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm on board. Uh, I'm not, I'm not even, you know, fully okay with a cross, but I think more importantly, as you said, you know, context is king. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's about making sure that that context is, is really known. To the players and to the coaches, I've been most uncomfortable when I've been involved in situations where players have gone up an age group rather than yeah. just up but up an age group. And it's all the best. Let's see how they cope, and, and that implicitly, it's if they cope, that's a really good thing, and, and, and it's validated the, the process. If they don't cope well, maybe they're not the player we thought they were. Yeah. That's, that feels dangerous.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you're touching on some, some um, controversial ground, really. But, um, um, yeah, I, I would imagine, I'm guessing, the players that have had a good experience and feel it's a development tool or coaches, it's a development tool, probably had a good experience of it or seeing the benefits of it with certain players. My other side of it would be, have we noticed or recognized when it's not been a good experience for certain players or have have we just gone, we've only noticed it when it's been a good experience. Research just tells us that playing up is a good developmental tool because it's giving them that, that, um, challenge, um, is there a better way of giving them challenge? I don't know. Is there, is there an element of, for me, I would personally think that they need to be in their social engagement system and feel connected to the group before they even go into that challenge um, or the benefit of that challenge on that night. I think this is where it comes into a sense of the benefit of the club or the players being connected across the whole club Coaches being connected across the whole club. And I think that's where sometimes you'll get a club, but you'll get pockets of teams. So they're all a collection of teams that make up one club. Whereas if then you have a, a, a working um, model where everybody knows everybody, there's some connection, um, you'll have different experiences and personalities but there's some consistencies in this is what we're going after. These are our boundaries. These are what we expect. But the personalities will be different anyway. The sessions will be different. But you've got some continuity that creates some safety that enables you to then move the players around. And I've talked this week around, you know, do we move the players? Because if if it were from a psych and social angle, I'd go, right, I'd look at my players and I'd go, these are the behaviors we want in. Who's who's actually developing them, or where are the emerging behaviors in the children? Where are the children that are securing them behaviors, and where are the the children that are performing them behaviors on a regular basis? So you won't go under 11s, under 12s, under 13s. We go actually where are them children that are displaying these behaviors, and where do they need the developmental stuff? Do they need this this week? Do they need that that week? So there's no set. You're under 11s, your foundation phase, your IDP phase, your this. Um, but that's a really idealistic model that's in my head, and that's just how it—probably <laughs> where it'll stay.
0: <laughs> oh well, I hope not. You know, maybe we'll have a chance of it getting there. And when it does, uh, I'm sure you'll you'll find ways to talk about it and and support other other clubs and other coaches with it. Um, I just wanted to sort of say that, uh, you know, to summarise it of you know using any tool that is available to us as a coach just requires us as coaches to be connected with it. It's it's not enough to say, yeah, yeah this this worked or it has worked. So it will work again in this situation. Wow. We've got to monitor it, notice what's going on for it. And, and if it doesn't quite work in the way that we expected it to or wanted it to, that's okay. But let's make sure we stay connected with it and we can start to adjust it for that player, for us, for the club we're working for and the rest of it.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think the big thing for that is know the child. Mm-hmm. So you need to know the child. You really need to know the child and the experiences that they've had before and, and then notice how their behaviours are in the session. And like you say, if it doesn't work, then be honest and say, I think we got that wrong for you. You know, and I think... Especially in the academy system, the power is held with the coach. Whether we want to say it's not, it is. And even if we commit this amazing environment, the boys still know at the end of the day that the coach holds the power for their release or the retain. So enabling that child to actually be open enough to say, I really struggled tonight, or you know what, we're playing in a cup final on on, on the weekend, or we're playing in a perceived bigger club, and it's in a brand new facility that we don't play in that facility every week. And I'm actually so nervous about that. It it needs to become it needs to become more prevalent in with especially within the boys' side. Um, and that's what I'm saying. The challenges, the boys will do it because we've asked them to do it. But actually we need to have some input and some ownership and check and challenge it with the boys and also observe the behaviours. And if we got it wrong, we got it wrong, but we really need to know the child. We need to know the experience that they've come with, what they've been, what, what, what's going on in their lives at that point, because it could be totally different than, you know, with with when you put them into that challenge. I have a massive thing around like the, the the week or two before Mother's Day or the week or two before Father's Day and then the week two after it. We've got to recognise that some of the behaviours will be different than weeks because of what what background certain children have. So putting them into a different challenge it would be So we just need to be aware of it. And people said to me, well, it's what develops resilience and, you know, they'll have to get used to these challenges. And I'm like, yeah, life is challenging. I get that. But you know what? As a child, they don't need as much interruption in their challenging behaviours because they're going to get it anyway in life. You know, and unfortunately, they might have got it anyway because they might have lost a parent, they might have had split ups, everything else that goes with it. So, you know, can we put safe challenges in? to help them and stretch them, but getting them ready for the real world, really, if we can put as much soil in as we can in the formative years, you're giving them the soil and the capacity to cope with them challenges in life, not giving them too early to get them set up because all we're doing is repeating bad experiences in such informative years. So, yeah, so think of have well, i a bit of my, my, my bandwagon there. Didn't you?
0: <laughs> no, no, and, a, and a, a really, really valuable point for us to absorb and and one that's made frequently and rightly so you know in in various different ways with both of us having worked for the fa you know that know the player to coach the player style phrase you know that's that's come up a number of times i always found that that player was called johnny i I don't know where where that was that for you yeah that was same for me that was the
1: youth model one
0: this this poor lad (laughs) gets back Banded about across the UK. Um, look, thank you so much for your time on it. If, 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 bearing in mind what we've said about knowing context, noticing your own space, could you give us three of your top tips for improving our practice in this space?
1: Um, do you know what? Something we haven't touched on, um, but um, would be, so one would be arrival activities, which we've touched on. Um, The second one would be structure board. So a structure board, so the children know what's happening that night. Um, Also, you will then, as well, linking into the arrival activities, the coaches will not have the comments of what we're doing tonight, what we're doing tonight, we're playing at weekend, we're playing at weekend. Um, And there's two reasons why the children ask that, because some children need to know what's coming next for safety. So and when we said to them, just concentrate on what we're doing tonight, or concentrate on this, they can't concentrate on it because the body and the brain and the nervous system is going, what we're doing next, what we're doing next, so there's uncertainty, uncertainty, uncertainty. So I'm going to say to kids, just focus on the game. I'll talk to you later. So structure boards enables that to kind of help them get in that state then before they arrive to this. So as they come in, some children will te- check the structure boards, some won't. Simple as that. Some children need it, some children don't. Check the structure boards. They're into arrival activity. Ready into that state. So structure bars and rival activities is my first top two. My third one would be the coach. So the thing would be around what's your face saying to your players. So have that in your back of your mind all the time. And then linking back into the coach again is when we see a child differently, we see a different child. So notice and sensing in what we have or our perceptions of certain children with labels or behaviours and try and look at it slightly, a little bit differently. That would be my three.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. One last question for you. Yeah. If you could have an audience with just one person. Who would that be?
1: Oh, audience with one person. I would say... Um, my grandma we lost her two and a half years ago now and she was um, pivotal to my development my personality I look back now and realize when I did my training at Thrive um, how much she gave me my emotional social development and then how much now I am about with her and stuff so if of one person it will be back with my grandma
0: yeah, what an awesome choice. Uh uh what uh what do you think you would ask her straight what do you think she'd ask you I'll straight just,
1: away? I'll just she, what would she ask me straight away? I can't say on because 'cause I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't say on All
0: right, well, we'll we'll leave we'll leave it there. <laughs> Sally thank you so much for your time today there's so much value in in everything that you've unpacked for us so so really really appreciate it and just leaves me to say welcome to the tribe
1: no problem thank you
0: that's it for episode three of season two nuggets of knowledge all over the place in that one For me, what Sally has to say adds context and understanding to so many coach behaviours and practices at a different level than is more readily considered in coach education. More valuable conversations to be had in this vein, for sure. The music you are listening to is by BB Phoenix. Her online discography and further details are in the links. As ever, thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope this finds you well, and we look forward to seeing you back here again next week.